morning to you, wherever you might be, uh, and thanks for dealing with us as we are working on uh, how to now move from the tiny room upstairs with Matt's iPhone to a larger setup that requires uh, more brains and people and things as we try to figure out how to do it. So you're going to kind of be in this in-between where we're operating with a uh, there's, there's a handful of folks in the room that I'm talking to who are here to serve and help, and then there's you as well. So if you kind of see me at times breaking the fourth wall and talking directly to you, that's because most of you are still there rather than a few here. Um, before we start, I want to just thank uh, Matt Brantner, Derek Maffitt, Nick Lee, uh, Matt Akers for coming up here week after week. Uh, and just the work that they have put in to try and even provide this, uh, this moment for us as a church family to have. And even as we were praying before the service, we know that this is, uh, in a sense, artificial. This is not how the Lord wants his people to engage with one another regularly. This is, though, a way that we are able to use, and we're grateful for it. And we were thanking God for the provision to purchase the equipment. We were thanking God for... Uh, uh, the fact that we had people who knew how to get it set up. We were thanking God for uh, the fact that we could even have the space and be here, and we want to be back together. I'll talk a little more about that uh, after the sermon, but I just want to thank those guys for the energy that they had put in to making this work. Friday was a long night, uh, and uh, we still have a ways to go to make it uh, how we need it, uh, but it really is awesome. So you'll probably find some glitches where we'll, we'll click, make a transition at the wrong time, or uh, we'll let that, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We'll do something that's going to be a little odd, uh, or we'll leave an instrument unmuted, and you'll hear, you know, or something like that. I'm just buying us time to make mistakes, guys. That's all I'm doing. But I'm really looking forward to where we are in the book of James uh, remember, I'm preaching this from the CSB because that was part of what I had <clears throat> memorized in with my family last year, and so it's easier for me just to kind of flow with the passage uh, than it would be to kind of jump translation. So what we're going to do is going to be in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. You'll actually see the words now below me um, if you are watching along at home, but James three thirteen, <clears throat> who among you is wise and understanding by his good conduct? He should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom... From above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Will you pray with me? Father, if we want to be wise, we need to know you. We need to live in such a way that shows that we know you, and it's not easy for us. We're selfish. We want to get ahead faster. We want to win, even at the expense of others. Show us a better way. 
through this passage, show us a better way. We believe you will, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, It feels like human nature to want people to know how important we are. It feels important to let people know that we are important. We want people to know how smart we are, how caring we are, how aware we are of spiritual things. I'm going to put spiritual things in quotes. We want to be able to say we've read the most recent book and we've heard the most recent podcast and we know the most recent thing going on in North American evangelicalism. We have all the ways that church life would work better. If only the pastor spoke like this, and if only we had this type of website, and if only we had ministry that was more structured like this, and if only we gave our money in this way, and if only we spent our money on these things, and if only, if only, if only we want people to know that we have it together. We've talked about the name drop, haven't we, in favoritism? We want people to know how important we are. If you don't tell somebody what book you've recently read or what conversation you've recently had or what thing you're currently thinking about, if you don't tell somebody your opinion, then are you really that big of a deal? You kind of wonder, well, how how are they going to know that I'm smart? How are they going to know that I have my stuff together if I'm not allowed to show it and talk about it and tweet it and put it on Facebook and put quotes with nice images and let them know that I read things and know things and see things and understand pastors and understand ministry and I'm just kind of the best. However, when you think about the way of Jesus, you know that self-importance isn't what he has shown us. Self-importance isn't the way of Jesus. The whole book of James is really trying to show us the way of Jesus. James spends no time, like Paul does, Paul's going to give you, this is what's true, and this is what's true, and this is what's true, and this is what you do about it. James jumps right into, what is going on with how you're living? It doesn't reflect Jesus at all. James is showing us the way of Jesus. And I think in our efforts to show ourselves as wise or smart or having it all together, we make a big mess. And we really misrepresent who the Lord Jesus is. And our churches misrepresent who the Lord Jesus is. And what we present on social media and what we present to our friends and how we talk in small group because we want them to know that we have it together. We don't show the way of Jesus. So this morning in James 3, verses 13 through 18, James is going to challenge his audience. He's essentially going to call them out and stand them up on the line and say, who among you is actually wise? Who among you is understanding? Who has it together? Show me your books you've recently read. Show me the conversations that you've had a a part of. Show me who's in your uh, contact list so that I can see that you actually know people, right? Who follows you on Twitter? Who are your friends on Facebook? That's how I'm going to know. James does not let that happen. What does wisdom look like? That's where we'll be this morning. Not how does wisdom talk a big game, but how does wisdom walk a big game? 
And so we'll see that in these verses, and I say this every week in James' fashion. He's going to say something, illustrate it, and say it again. He just kind of keeps running through these cycles, doesn't he? So what we're going to see in verse 13 is his statement. You're going to know wisdom by its conduct, by its behavior, by the way that it operates. That's how you will know what wisdom actually is. You see it. You don't hear it. You see it. You know wisdom by its conduct. You know how you were in school and you get an E, an S, an N, or a U for your conduct grade, E-S-N-U? I remember one time in kindergarten, I still remember this because we remember the grades we get. In kindergarten, I got an N for pushing in my chair. I still think the teacher was wrong. Five years old, N for a little report card of a kid pushing in a chair. You remember your conduct. Conduct is important. Wisdom, we often think of as words, don't we? Oh, that sounds very wise, or he's very wise. But what we don't realize is when we talk about wisdom, we are talking about the idea of words, but they're applied through godly life, and that's really what makes wisdom stand out. Conduct is important. So we're going to see that, and we're going to look at verse 13. James starts with a question, who among you, who among you? Will the real Slim Shady please stand up, right? Who among you is wise and understanding? Show me the wisdom. And then he says this, By his good conduct, let him show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. So James wants to see the wise people. He wants to line them up. Who among you is wise? Brothers, sisters, who here has a word for us? Who here would like to show that you have it all together? Who has the answer to my parenting woes? Who has the solution to our church problems? Who has the answer to why your community group hasn't multiplied yet? Please tell me who these people are. Step forward with your bright ideas. We need to hear them. Assuming some might rise up to the challenge and go, uh, that's me, definitely me, I want you to know that that's me, I, wanna, I, I would like to, I, ha- I have something I'd like to say, you always get my emails and the suggestion box is always full of my connect cards, I want you to know that I'm wise and if you only listen to me then you'd know. James goes, okay, if you're wise, here's your test, show me your work and if your work is gentle, then maybe you are. If your disposition, your character is gentle, humble, that comes from wisdom. Wise people know they don't need to be brash. They also know they don't need to show how awesome they are. They don't need to speak it. On May 19th of this year, world-renowned apologist and evangelist Uh, Ravi Zacharias died after a short battle with a deadly cancer. It came quickly, in months, and gone. You might have seen this story in your social media feeds. You might have heard him in person. You've likely listened to a video or read a book or something like that. You'll probably find YouTube videos of Ravi talking with people, skeptics in the crowd who have questions about faith and what it means, or they might be atheists and they want to challenge him. 
And you might even find people calling it like, Ravi Zacharias owns some kind of atheist. But he never looked at it like that, did he? He never looked at it as, I'm going to win this with words. And you know that because of his character. After he died, his daughter wrote this about her father, known throughout the world for his apology, his ability to speak about the Lord, to defend the Lord to others. It's interesting that she doesn't talk about how smart he was or how many books he read or the advice that he would give. Listen to her comments. My dad's humility, grace, tenderness for people, and above all, his love for the Lord are forever imprinted on my mind, my heart, and my life. His love for our family will be impossible to replace until we join him in heaven one day. Somebody that even believers would say, this man is wise. This man can argue. This man makes sense of the faith. And if you're confused, read from him or hear from him or or try to have a conversation with him. If you're ever at one of his conferences, do that. But what is he remembered for by his daughter? Publishing to the world, humility, grace, tenderness, love for the Lord, love for the family. By his good conduct, let him show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. It is your life that proves your wisdom, not your words and not your desire to be seen. And there are times, this is a sidebar, I like sidebars. There are times where we spend lots of energy trying to become someone or something. And I think this is a mistake. The, the zealous desire to ascend a ladder, be seen as influential, grow your platform, get more Twitter followers, get more Facebook followers, write something influential, write something controversial. That's often how we are able to rise above in this world. I think it's a mistake. When we try to become someone or something, we neglect to realize what the Lord has already done for us and in us and to nurture that. We short-circuit the fruitfulness that comes from slow, deliberate attention to God's Word and to our lives. We avoid the maturity that comes through suffering and pain and agony and hurt that God then uses. What does James say in chapter 1? That trials produce endurance because when he is stood, the one going through trials, when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When we are impatient, we short-circuit what God produces through simple, deliberate acts of obedience for Him. So that's his first statement in verse 13. Now, in verses 14 through 16, he's going to say this. Worldly wisdom, the way from the world, worldly wisdom denies God and it brings Chaos. Worldly wisdom denies God and brings chaos. 
He takes the idea and says, I'm going to give you a hint, a teaser at what is good. Now I'm going to go to what shouldn't be. He did this with favoritism too, right? As believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose somebody comes into your gathering, right? He goes to the negative example after stating the positive example. He does the same thing here, verse 13. Positive example, wisdom is seen. Then, in verse 14, 15 and 16, he's going to give us the negative example. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from earth or from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is evil or there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. So just as true wisdom is seen in your internal character from the inside out, worldly wisdom has some stuff going on inside of it too. First, regarding its expression. Worldly wisdom inside of us is envious and ambitious for selfish gain. To be ambitious for the Lord, to to long for, pray for, and seek Great things for God, William Carey's statement, uh, attempt great things, expect great things for God. I think I got the order wrong. But you expect God to move, and you attempt great things, and see God move. That you're ambitious for the Lord's purposes in this world. But if you have bitter envy, which is going to show up in how we rival one another, we'll see that in chapter 4. Selfish ambition, well how does it look? If you're a kid this morning, watching along, it might express itself in, I want, I need, or I'm more important. In our house, it goes something like this. Uh, And I'm called daddy or dada, uh, not often dad. I call myself dad to them, but uh, daddy, and I just go, nope, because I know where it's going to go. Nope, not right now. You can almost hear in the tone, can't you? Nope, not going to do it. Well, he's, nope, not concerned. If you're adult, an adult, it might be expressed like this, right? Kids say, I want, I need, and I'm more important. But if you're an adult, your language might disguise itself like this. I want, I need, and I'm more important. It's the same thing. It's expressed in what's going on inside of us. Now, it's source. That's what he gets to next. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's its source. Has anybody ever given you a glass of water? Probably. Have they ever given you a glass of water that had been sitting outside in a cooler for a day or two and you didn't know? Or maybe you thought that the big five-gallon cooler was like cold, clean water, but instead... It was from the job site or the work that was done around the house a while back, and you get it, and you slam that water back, and you just go, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. What, what in the world is this? You thought it was water to drink, but it doesn't go down right because it was coming from the wrong source. Bad source. Wisdom of the world sourced in this world, leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Leaves a bad taste in your mouth. 
It infects a church. It harms a church. And then James is going to talk in verse 16 about its fruit. For where there is envy and selfish ambition sourced in the earth, right? Things of this world, unspiritual desires, and the demonic. Where there is that, there is then its fruit, disorder and every evil practice. Verse 16. The fruit of the wisdom of the world is disorder and every evil practice. Here's one of the reasons, and we'll talk about this from time to time. When the moral compass of the surrounding world moves, and it has always moved, it's not only moving now, it has always moved throughout time. When the desires and the values of the surrounding world move, what starts to happen? Then the wisdom of the world moves along with it. And what was wise five minutes ago is no longer wise because we've shifted. What was wise 50 years ago is no longer wise because we've shifted. The things of the Lord are enduring. They produce different things in the lives of people. But the things of the world are always changing. And so as that are, that's changing, and some people grab onto one desire, some people grab onto another, some people grab onto another, then what starts to happen? Cattiness in the church. We don't get along with each other. We don't talk to one another. We don't love one another because the fruit is expressed as disorder and every evil practice. Well, you would then expect, in James' fashion, for him to highlight what is positive. And that's exactly what he does when he talks about worldly or uh, godly wisdom. That godly wisdom, what does it do? It reflects Jesus and brings peace. So think about the first one. Worldly wisdom reflects or denies God and brings chaos, disorder. Godly wisdom reflects Jesus. It doesn't just reflect some kind of abstract thing of like, oh, it just reflects the idea of God. No, no, no. It reflects the Lord Jesus because he is the wisdom of God. And so when we want to see wisdom, we should see Jesus. When we want to hear wisdom, we should hear Jesus. And it brings peace. Verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure. Then peace loving. How many of you this morning love peace? Not not conflict. Some people just love to avoid conflict. That doesn't mean peace. I don't enough conflict avoiders to know they are generally unhappy people. They just don't they just surround themselves with people who don't like to avoid conflict as well and then you get them in a quiet moment and game over. I'm like, "Oh, you have many opinions about many things, but you just don't want to actually address what's going on in your heart so you just look okay but you're not okay it's first pure undefiled it loves peace it is gentle remember verse 13 in the gentleness that comes from wisdom compliant submissive caring for the other right the kind of wisdom we like especially as you're kind of a young dude in ministry is like the hey i'm going to tell you what's up I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm going to tell you what needs to happen. It's not submissive, is it? How many churches can you count that have risen on the back of worldly wisdom and then fallen to the ground because it actually didn't reflect godly wisdom? It didn't love peace. It wasn't gentle. 
It wasn't submissive, compliant. It wasn't full of mercy and good fruits. Unwavering, it was steady. And then we talk again about its look. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Well, we ended the last section with disorder and every evil practice. We end this section with fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Being a peacemaker means being proactive to bring resolution to situations, not angrily, not in a frustrated sense. There's a great book called The Peacemaking Pastor. It comes out of the whole idea of peacemakers ministry, but The Peacemaking Pastor, and it just runs through. How do you as a pastor help people deal with conflict in a way that honors the Lord? There's another book I read this, week, uh, this year because we have to talk about the books we've read. Uh, but I would suggest it to any of you. The Way of the Dragon or The Way of the Lamb. Way of the Dragon, Way of the Lamb. You can see who's who here. The Way of the World focuses on strength, power, authority, and the Way of God, the Way from Above, is different. This is how the authors would define the Way of God. It's power from God and power for God, it is known, a power known in our, listen to this word, our weakness, and is expressed in love. How many of us like to flaunt our weakness? How many of us lead with weakness? How many of us say, this is what I'm bad at? This is where my flesh will try and prop up myself. This is where I'm going to present myself as having it together when really I don't. So often, and this book even gets to it, I love it. So often what happens is that leaders, people in ministry, try and hide their weakness by masking it with some kind of strength. And then all of a sudden, like their cultural values become their strengths. If you look at a list of like church values, just go find five. Maybe you'll find it. I'm not really sure. But I'm not sure how many lists of value statements churches have would actually say, we value weakness. What are they going to value, right? We value worship, and we value leadership, and we value grace and kindness, right? We say those things, but we never say weakness. We value weakness and really realizing that we're nothing. There are some. Don't get me wrong. There are some. But it's interesting to me, and this is just a Hans church life scripture observation. It's interesting to me that often churches that we are attracted to have cultures that are unhealthy. We like their size. We like the, the way they get things done. We like the way they look. We like their cool streaming, right? Like we like these kinds of things. Yeah, th you, that's for you, Derek. That's for you. We like these looks. We text the podcast that that church does to our friends and our pastors like us at small churches and go, oh, have you seen what they're doing? I'm like, that church has a $14 million budget. Like, I, yeah, I've seen it. It's awesome. It's awesome. But we have these kinds of desires that love power. We don't love weakness. I was reading recently uh, from somebody who was talking about how their own physical weakness made them aware that COVID could knock them out. I know. 
And if, I, if this is what takes me out, this is what takes me out. And then he had this comment, the Lord has always used my weakness. He's always used my weakness. And so if he's going to use my physical weakness to allow me to glorify him through the end of my life, then let him do that. If he brings me recovery through this, then he brings me recovery. But the Lord has always used my weakness. If you buddy up to any leader in the church or anybody who seems attractive for the right reasons, you like their heart or their family or their character, what you will often find is a man or a woman who has had to come face to face with their inadequacy. And that's when you start to actually see wisdom. Peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, peacemaking. Now it's interesting, isn't it, when you look at that list in verses 17 through 18, man, who does that sound like? Right? Spoiler alert, Jesus sounds a lot like Jesus. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 talks just about this. For he himself is our peace. And talking about the relationship between Jew and Gentile, the Apostle Paul will say, Jesus is our peace. He came and preached peace to those who were far off. He came and preached peace to those who were near. For in him we all, Jew and Gentile together, have access to God the Father through one Spirit. Jesus is the ultimate peacemaker. Jesus is the ultimate peace bringer. This then makes perfect sense why peace is such an essential component in James's mind to wisdom. If you want to live wisely, then I should see it. The fruit of righteousness is peace. Sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. When you reject God's wisdom for the world's wisdom, you will find yourself frustrated and likely exhausted. And you won't be able to recognize peace because you will try and find it and see that it always evades you. It's like putting diesel in your car and it needs unleaded and you're, you, you, you load it up, which honestly won't happen because the diesel piece is too big. But let's just go with the illustration. You fill it up with the wrong fuel. You turn it on, and you're like, why won't my car go? So what do you end up doing, right? You ain't got to push that thing to wherever you go next. If your source is wrong for wisdom, you will find yourself just trying to push this dead carcass of a life somewhere and make sense of it because you have not actually changed the source to the Lord Jesus. Now, with where we've been so far in James chapter 1, James chapter 2, James chapter 3, things are starting to connect for us. You see the connection between your speech and your wisdom and your character? We were just talking about speech. He was just talking about how we talk, what we say, how we say it. And then he moves from how you speak to how you, right, live. We're talking about speech. You might think that speech is, speech is just wise words, but that's not the case, and James wants you to know that. No, speech is a wise life. A complete person doesn't have to talk a big game because their life shows their character. 
and they have nothing to prove to you, to me, to anyone. Because what they have has come from the Lord Jesus. While worldly wisdom does look powerful and can look even attractive, it's the wrong kind of power and it's the wrong attraction. And while godly wisdom looks weak, it is actually incredibly powerful. What you'll find if you pursue godly wisdom is that you will actually look more like Jesus and less like this world. You will live in a way, in the way of Jesus, full of his wisdom, making peace as you go. So we end with one idea. To do what James says and show yourself wise. Prove your wisdom in your life. Don't defend your wisdom. Don't flaunt your wisdom. Prove your wisdom in your life. I want to just challenge you to consider some of the habits that you might have formed. There are certain habits of weakness. And, and what I mean by that is there are ways that we have to discipline our hearts to know to engage the Lord, but the actual habit itself is a demonstration that we don't have it together. One is clearly this, prayer. Prayer says, I don't have it together. Prayer says, I don't know what I'm doing. Prayer says, I don't have the power to change this. Prayer says, I can't get this done myself. Where you find a truly powerful church, you will find a truly praying church. uh, Part of or composed of truly praying people. Confessing sin. Praying with your family. Praying for those who don't know the Lord. Praying to see God move in ways that only God can move. Praying for big things and praying for small things. Praying for anything and praying for everything. Prayer develops in us a God anticipation of what could be and is a way of training ourselves and reminding ourselves and disciplining ourselves to look at the world in the way God would look at it. So it would make sense that if you want to devote yourself to prayer, then that would likely form in you through time wisdom. So prayer is one. Another thing just to consider is how regularly do you engage the scriptures? We have our reading plan. That's just kind of a way to kind of keep you marching. We have our D groups, which are a way to kind of keep you accountable. We have our memory verses, which are ways to help root these things. For us, the Sermon on the Mount, all year, we're reminding ourselves of things Jesus has said. And the more you memorize that, the more you're going to be reading James going, what in the world? Sounds like James is just quoting his brother. He is. He is. But engaging the scriptures also says this, my authority is not good enough to live life in the way that I should. I need God's authority to make this work. I can't use my own authority. I need his. I can't use life as I would want it. I need life the way God would want it. And the scriptures paint for us God's view of life and how it best works. So I would challenge you to then also, with prayer, pray the scriptures. You can't pray the scriptures without knowing the scriptures. So prayer one, scriptures two, both of those then say to us, I don't have it together. 
I need to depend on God. I need to know what he says. And then third, and this is an expression that lines right up with James, is to root your life in care for your brother and your sister in the faith. Because with that, you develop a posture that is stooped, one of servanthood, not one of being served. And again, serving is a demonstration of weakness, not of power. And it's funny because the, the cultural wisdom of servant leadership that came across in the past few decades was actually, in a sense, it's a true thing. You can find it. It's like Greenleaf did not make it happen, but he gets all the credit for it. What happens in that is it's almost like a way of serving people to get what you want. Is that the way of Jesus? That if I serve enough, I will be promoted. It's not the way of Jesus. Jesus served and died. Posture of prayer, posture toward the scriptures, posture of service. Rather than focus on our ambition and our hopes and our dreams of what God could do through us if we were just powerful enough, Maybe we should root ourselves in weakness because the fruit that results from that is far more significant than what our own ambitions could bring. When you live like that, what's funny is your desires actually change. You have no desire to show people that you have it all together. Why? Because there will become something so unique about you and your character that people want to learn. And when they want to learn, what can you do but show them a risen Lord who served, who gave, who prayed, and who brought peace? A committed life to the Lord Jesus shows itself as authentic and truly wise. Who among us is wise and understanding? They'll never, the, true, the truly wise and understanding ones aren't going to show up because they're going to be too busy doing the things that wise and understanding people do. Unconcerned with what comes from it. In Genesis, I believe we can be that. And I believe we can be that because from what we read in his scriptures, inspired by him, given by his spirit through men for us, I believe it can be that because I know that that's what God wants for his church. That's what he wants. That's what we should long for.